Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Diabetes, it's a huge upcoming epidemic that we are already seeing some of the effects of right now. The numbers in Hawaii of those with type 2 diabetes can fill Aloha Stadium twice. What causes diabetes and what can we do about it? The safest medications with the best long-term efficacy? Well, the National Institutes of Health wants to help us find out. Helen Petrovich, Principal principal Investigator of the GRADE study, Dr. Sophia Hazel, she's an endocrinologist at VA, and Mike Matwichna, who is the Recruitment Coordinator, are here in the studio to tell us about an exciting new study that's taking place right here in the islands for those people affected by diabetes. We'll be taking your calls in just a few minutes at 941-3689 on Oahu, toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. First in medical news, Hawaii Pacific Health Conference Services is putting on their yearly Women's Way to Health Conference this coming Saturday. It's open to the public and it's free, and you can see it in person at the Alamoana Hotel or video conference at Polymomi Medical Center or Wilcox Memorial Hospital on Kauai. What topics are being covered? What can you learn? Dr. Laura Miller is on the line to tell us more. She's going to be one of the speakers this Saturday. Laura, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. Now, you're a neurologist and you specialize in headaches. This is one of the topics you'll be discussing on Saturday. What else are they going to talk about? What can somebody expect to learn if they go to the Women's Way to Health? Well, in addition to learning more about headaches and its impact on women, um, the rest of the topics are going to be geared really towards women's health as well, um, talking about things like the impact of diabetes, breast health and breast cancer screening, strength training, and overall wellness. Now, although this is a women's way to health discussion, men are still invited. They might have a loved one or a spouse that they want to help support. They can come too, right? Oh, most definitely. Um, also, you know, we know that women are the primary sort of healthcare decision makers in a lot of families. So there's going to be a lot of information that's going to be not only impactful for women, but also so that they can help make better decisions for their family's health as well. Now, I know in particular you're talking about headaches. Can you give us a little sneak preview? Is there a secret that uh, I want to know about how headaches affect women and thus everyone else around them? Um, Sure. So, you know, we know, for example, that headaches are three times more common in women than they are in men, migraine in uh, particular, and a lot of that has to do with hormonal issues. And so I'll be talking a lot about the difference in headaches over the female life cycle as hormones fluctuate and change with age. So that's some of the topics that people will be able to hear about is your excellent discussion on headaches and how hormones can affect that. And then you mentioned breast cancer screening updates. We have a Dr. Laura Peterson doing that. And then also doing some different exercises, complete wellness and being longer, leaner and healthier. And also, in addition, we're going to have our guest on the show, Dr. Ted Toby. He's been here a few months back. He's going to be talking about how to make the right choices for a healthy future and how to avoid becoming a statistic with diabetes, with the increased risk of medical complications, heart attacks, strokes, and more. Dr. Miller, if somebody wants to go, how do they get in touch with conference services? How do they find out if they can attend on Saturday? Well, more information is going to be available online at www.hawaiipacifichealth.org. And if people are interested in attending, I encourage them to call conference services directly. The number there is 522-3469. 
Fantastic. And you've got in-person Alamoana Hotel. You've got video conferencing, which you can do in Kauai at Wilcox and also at Polymomi. So really, if you want to go and these are topics of interest for you, no reason why not to. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks so much, Dr. Biller, for being on the show and telling us more about this exciting community event that's free to the public. And again, if you want to be part of this, you can give a phone call to 522-3469 or you can look up information at hawaiipacifichealth.org. Thanks a lot, Dr. Miller. Thanks. Bye. Speaking of diabetes, it's a huge problem in the field of medicine, an increasingly difficult one to control as more and more people are diagnosed. But help is here, and there are some new studies that are looking at how to personalize diabetes treatment for the individual and make the most of sugar control. The GRADE study, Glycemic Reduction Approaches in Diabetes and Comparative Effectiveness Study, which is why we're going to call it the GRADE study, much easier to say, it's open and they're trying to help practitioners figure out what medications are going to be the best for people to use to take care of diabetes the most effectively for them. We've got a panel of experts. I have Dr. Sophia Hazel, endocrinologist and diabetes specialist at the VA hospital, along with Helen Petrovich, the principal investigator of this study, and Mike Matwichna. He is the recruitment coordinator. And we're going to be talking about the GRADE study. What's the best way to take care of your diabetes? It's a study sponsored by the National Institutes of Health and brought right here to the islands. If you've got a question, you can join us at any time, 941-3689 on Oahu. Toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Welcome to the show, fabulous panel of experts. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. All right. Thanks for coming on today. Now, Dr. Hazel, we'll talk with you first. Diabetes, you know, it's a problem with high levels of sugar in the blood. What causes it? Is it genetic? Is it inevitable for some people? Is it just that we're eating junk? What causes people to get this high level of sugar in their blood? You know, there's a combination of reasons that can contribute to somebody getting diabetes. Sometimes it does run in families. Sometimes you can be the first one in your family to have it. Um, It is a problem with the balance of uh, blood sugar and insulin in the body. When we talk about type 2 diabetes in particular, we're talking about insulin resistance. So essentially your body makes some insulin, but it's not making enough to actually overcome and control your blood sugars. So we're still using this type 1, type 2 differentiation. So type 1 is you get it usually when you're younger, although not exclusively. And what happens in in type 1 that's different than in type 2? So in type 1, um, yes, it tends to be in younger people, and it's what we call autoimmune. So your body's kind of attacked your pancreas. So it's not producing enough insulin. And actually, um, most people don't produce any versus type 2. You're making some, but you're not making enough And so the enough can be characterized by not enough for your body based on what you're eating or not enough for your body based on some other sort of a genetic reason? Or do we really know? Do we know if type 2 has a genetic predisposition? It does have a genetic predisposition. So if like your mom and your grandmother and your aunties all got it, you're likely to get it unless you do something to avoid that. Correct. And that would be really watching the diet, doing the exercise. Right. And being able to maintain yourself at a lower weight. Because as as people gain weight, that actually contributes to what we call as the insulin resistance. So it's that level that your body's not able to make enough insulin 
to control the blood sugars. But we notice, you know, some people when they are maybe early and diagnosed in diabetes or when they're um, said to be pre-diabetic, if they're able to watch their diet, you know, eat kind of smaller portions and they exercise regularly, and if they even lose weight, their blood sugars tend to be much better controlled and may not actually progress to diabetes. Once a diabetic, always a diabetic? Can you ever, I don't want to say cure diabetes, but, you know, is there a situation where you could be diet controlled and not taking any medication and not having any of the secondary complications because your sugars are good? Yes. Yes. I I mean, we don't ever actually think, say, cure, but yes, you could actually be diet controlled where you don't need medications. So like a recovered diabetic. You know, I often make an analogy that I think, you know, I apologize to anybody who may be offended, but I often say, you know, think of alcoholism. If you're an alcoholic and you decide I'm going to stop drinking, we call you a recovered alcoholic or maybe you're in AA or however you decided to do this. We don't say that you've ever cured alcoholism. We say that you've recovered from it. And as long as you don't put yourself in a position where you're around it or it gets out of control again, then you're controlled. You're recovered. You're, you're not an alcoholic any further. So, I mean, it's not that when you're diabetic, you're a sugaraholic, but, but you have a sugar problem. And if you can control that, I'll often tell people you're a, quote, recovered diabetic. I can't find a diagnosis code for that, but, hey, you are one and diet controlled, so you don't necessarily need medication. Right. And that's actually really important because I think once people get themselves where they're diet controlled and they're, you know, exercising regularly, it's trying to maintain that. That's the hard thing, you know, um, and but it's that maintenance that'll keep them from needing to go on medication in the long run. So it's can't you can't just say I went to the gym every day for six weeks. Now I'm better, and now I don't have to go. Right, exactly. It's the main. You still have to keep going. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's always the bummer thought that you know, I did so well six weeks ago, but now I've got to keep going. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Mike, Matt Wichna, you are the recruitment coordinator. Now, the particular study that we're talking about, the grade study, it's a study that's actually being run by the National Institutes of Health. It's looking for people to help us to discover as clinicians what are the best medications to use for diabetes. So what are some of the criteria if somebody out there has diabetes and says, I'd love to be part of a clinical trial because I'd like to see if I can figure out a way to control my diabetes better and maybe help some other people in the future. Who is this study for? What people we're focusing on right now is with the inclusion criteria, it's type 2 diabetics that have been diagnosed within the last five years. Uh, also, what we're looking for is people that have been diagnosed over the age of 30. Um, they need to only be on one medication, which is metformin, for their diabetes. And then we also do uh, track and look at their hemoglobin A1C. The range we're looking for to, for inclusion in our study is between 6.8 and 8.5. So normal range for non-diabetics is below about 5.7. Right. Borderline diabetes, about 5.7, 6.4. They've used the cutoff of 6.5 for the diagnosis of diabetes. So you're looking at that fairly mild to maybe moderate category, 6.8 to 8.5%. Right, right. Okay. So that's our kind of our starting point. And actually, when we're, when we're looking at candidates coming in or participants, we're looking at individuals that might be at a little higher uh, because... One of the steps that we do in the study is we titrate the metformin because as we put there, we want them only on metformin, but we want them on, we're going to try to get them to 2,000 uh, milligrams per day of metformin. 
And so we anticipate that that's going to bring their hemoglobin A1Cs down. So, so you, you need them to kind of start a little bit on the higher range right. so you don't go too low. Exactly. Which is one of the best things about metformin, that it generally doesn't cause hypoglycemia or low sugars. So you're really looking for some folks who are just taking what most of us would consider an initial treatment for diabetes, metformin, that is often given as the first medication, otherwise known as glucophage. And you're looking for these folks. And what is it you're trying to learn and discover? What we're looking at is uh, we're, we are doing a comparative study. So we will have them on the metformin to start off with in the study. Then once we titrate them and we go through a process, initially we do some screening, then we do some titration run-in, and then we do a final run-in where we do check, check the hemoglobin A1C to make sure it's in the appropriate range. At that point, then they would be randomized to another medication. Uh, so to it, take with their metformin. To take with the metformin so that it can be a comparative. So we can look at the metformin along with another diabetes medication. There's four of them that we're going to be comparing. And looking at those and then looking across the spectrum to see individuals in the different categories, who is getting the better control. Now, there have been a lot of new medications that have come out in the last few years, and part of the reason is because we've done more research into diabetes, which is fantastic, but also people now have some more options because previously they didn't have as many options about what medications to use. Helen Petrovich, you are the principal investigator of this study. Is that one of the reasons why you think we have to do it? We know about how some of the older medications work over time, but with some of the new medications, is this a way for us to figure out if they're as good as, if not better long-term than what we used to do? Well, that's exactly the reason why we want to do the trial, because um, we really want to see... If you're going to add a second medicine to metformin, which is the best medicine to add? And we have a lot of different candidates now, and so we've chosen four really promising candidates, and we're going to be testing those as a second medicine. And actually, the endpoint that we're looking for is which drug added to metformin will keep the person, the patient, in the proper A1C range the longest. What kind so, of time duration are we talking about here? Is the study going to be done in a few months, a few years, a decade? Right now, we're actually funded for five years, and we're hoping to obtain funding for another three years, which is very likely. So it'll probably be an eight-year study. And during that time, people who sign up and are randomized in the study will get free medicine the whole time, which will be a good thing. So the other reason that somebody who, you know, may be early stage diabetic may want to be involved in this is because now they're going to have this monitoring team and also medications are going to be provided for free for them for the duration of the study. That's right. And we'll be keeping in close uh, touch with their personal physician so that we won't be providing care other than diabetes care for the participants. So we'll be letting the doctor know as long as it's okay with the patient, exactly how they're doing in the trial and, you know, what they're, how their A1Cs are doing and what medicines they're on and um, basically keeping their doctor up to date on everything. So basically we can work as a team. Right. So that not only will the study being taken care of the diabetes, but you also have cholesterol and blood pressure and all sorts of other health issue, issues. So it's going to be a collective. Everybody's going to work That's together. That's right. Now, what if they don't do well? I mean, I'm just envisioning, what if somebody says, okay, I'm going to be in this study, and they're not doing better, they're actually getting worse. How do you handle that situation? Do you expect that it might even happen? And if that's the case, do they just get randomized to another medicine, or how long would somebody get worse before there'd be another intervention? Well, we have that 
um, built into the study so that if someone goes above a certain level of A1C that we think is outside the therapeutic range, then we'll start to add insulin to their routine. And we'll do that in the way that's you know, standardly done by physicians until we get the blood sugar under control. Now, insulin, Dr. Sophia. Yes. Everybody likes to avoid it. But, you know, it's the best treatment for diabetes. It's what you're actually missing. It's the most natural treatment for diabetes. Why do we have such a huge fear about it? You know, I think... um is it just needle phobia? There is a lot of that. I think it's a lot of, you know, there's no pill for insulin. It's only injected. There so, was that inhaled one a few years ago, but it never really took off. No, and then there were some issues with it, too, in terms of whether it was causing or lung irritation. So, yeah, so that went away. And it was actually kind of cumbersome. I don't know if you ever saw it. It was, it was a huge of, device. Yeah. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I mean, I know I carry a big purse, but I don't know. I'd have to carry luggage. It was it was a big yeah, was device. Big. Okay. So I think um, how it's delivered, It's um, people don't commonly want to inject themselves and don't want to inject themselves multiple times a day. And I think other things are, you know, some people have family members or friends that they got put on insulin and then... Bad things happen, and they think that that's one step closer to having right. negative consequences. Right, but I think some oftentimes that those things happen because the insulin got started too, too late. late, where the person maybe already had developed those problems, and it would have happened regardless of if they had started the insulin. So actually, starting insulin sooner helps to avoid those things. And you're right, insulin is exactly what our body makes. It's what we're missing. And when people get started on insulin, the blood sugars are better. A lot of their symptoms, you know, improve, go away. So, And you mentioned an important point, which was if you start more effective treatment earlier, whether it be insulin or better diet, exercise, or more medication, you can avoid some of the complications of having diabetes affect so many organs of the body, vision and hearing. And well, I don't know about hearing, but vision and your heart and strokes and kidneys and nerves and, you know, tingling and burning of your feet. I mean, there's so many different areas that can be affected if you just treat it more carefully to start off with. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with my group of experts. I have Dr. Sophia Hazel, endocrinologist at the VA, Mike Matwichna, recruitment coordinator of the GRADE study, and Helen Petrovich, principal investigator. And we're talking about diabetes today. When we come back, we're going to talk more about how you too can be a part of this study if you'd like to. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. On January 26, 2006, station KIPO was granted a license by the Federal Communications Commission to serve the public interest as a public trustee until February 1, 2014. On April 22, 2011, station KIPH was granted a license by the Federal Communications Commission to serve the public interest as a public trustee until February 1, 2014. On April 25, 2011, station KIPM was granted a license by the Federal Communications Commission to serve the public interest as a public trustee until February 1, 2014. And on March 19, 2013, station KHPH was granted a license by the Federal Communications Commission to serve the public interest as a public trustee until February 1, 2014. The licenses of these stations will expire on February 1, 2014. 
KIPO, KIPH, KIPM, and KHPH must file application for license renewal with the FCC no later than October 1, 2013. When filed, a copy of these applications will be available for public inspection during our regular business hours. It will contain information concerning these stations' performance during the last seven years. Individuals who wish to advise the FCC of facts relating to these stations' renewal applications and to whether these stations have operated in the public interest should file comments and petitions with the FCC by January 2, 2014. Further information concerning the FCC's broadcast license renewal process is available at Hawaii Public Radio, 738 Kaheka Street, Honolulu, 96814 or may be obtained from the FCC, Washington, D.C., 20554. Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. Diabetes is a huge problem in medicine, and once you have it, life changes, and it's time to take extra care about what you eat, how much exercise you do, basically work on every area of your life to improve your health and reduce your risk of having your sugars get worse. We've got a trial that's going on here in the islands, first of its kind, looking at head-to-head different types of medications to see if we can find a way to personalize people's treatment for diabetes, but also help them to find the best medication that will help keep their sugars down. I've got a panel of experts. I've got Helen Petrovich, who's the principal investigator of the GRADE study, Glycemic Reduction and Diabetes Comparative Effectiveness Study. I've got Mike Matwichna. He is the recruitment coordinator. And Dr. Sophia Hazel, an endocrinologist at the VA. And we're all in the studio talking about this exciting new study sponsored by the NIH, or National Institutes of Health. If you'd like to hear more about it or if you've had diabetes and you have an inspiring story of how you were able to get your sugars down, share your story, maybe help somebody else along the way. You can join us at 941-3689 on Oahu, toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Sophia, we were just mentioning that this is the first of its kind in studies because we're looking at specific medications and Really, pharmaceutical companies haven't done these types of trials before. Is that right? That is true. So this uh, this study is going to be looking at, you know, everyone's actually going to be on metformin. that, um, And then it's going to be comparing four different types of drugs. And they'll be head-to-head. And we're looking at how well these different combinations are going to control the blood sugar. And for how long is that effect going to last? So metformin is one of those go-tos. If somebody finds out they have diabetes, it's a medication that has been indicated for pre-diabetics, even before their levels go up very high. But it's also used as one of the initial treatments for diabetes. Why is that? Why is it such such an easily, ubiquitously used medicine that we go to first? Are Are there some reasons why that takes place? Yes, because, you know, it's... Because of what it does and um, how well it works, and I want to mention, so some of you may be on metformin, other names for it are glucophage, glucophage XR, Fortimet, Glumetza, Riomet. What metformin does, and it's been around for decades now, it's one of the oldest um, oral medications that we've got, and it works in a couple of ways, helps to decrease the insulin resistance that I talked about earlier. It also works on the liver to help um, in terms of uh, blocking the glucose breakdown out of the liver. So, and it doesn't have that low blood sugar 
as a side effect. That's less common to happen with uh, metformin. So I kind of tell people it's like, okay, so let's pretend that we're in a room and we have a door. And the inside of the room, we'll call it just a cell of the body. So the door right now is locked. And insulin wants to open up the door and let a little bit of sugar in. And if the door is locked, that makes it much harder to do. So, you know, the door causes some resistance. So maybe that insulin and glucose is trying to push in the door but can't get through. Metformin helps to open up the door. Now, if there's no sugar out there, nobody's coming inside. Right. So you won't get low sugar in your bloodstream because if there isn't any sugar that's trying to get into these cells, it's not going to cause a problem. But there's something else that you mentioned that I think a lot of us don't realize, and that is that the other thing metformin does is it helps to reduce your liver's release of sugar. A lot of people say, but I didn't eat. Why is my sugar high? They don't realize the liver's making it. Right. The liver, you know, stores. It stores that excess sugar. You know, in times when you're at rest or when you're sleeping, um, you're not eating, so there's not this active sugar component in the blood, but your body still needs the sugar to function. So the major place where it's all stored is in the liver. So it, like, opens up the floodgates. Right. And so if you say, but I didn't eat after dinner, why is my sugar going up? And it may be that your liver is contributing to this. So metformin is one of those medications that helps to reduce that release. Yes. Another reason why it's a good place to start. Yeah, exactly. Now, we've talked about this number called an A1C. It's a percentage number. What does it really mean? So the hemoglobin A1C, it's actually a blood test that doctors run, usually uh, maybe every three months or so. And what it tells us, so it's... um, it's a three-month average blood it's, sugar value. Yes. So I often tell people your red, your red blood cells, luckily, you make new ones every day. Because if you didn't, there would be a problem. And they only last about three months three or months. so. So depending on what the sugar is in your bloodstream, a certain percentage is going to be on this red cell. And is that the percentage we're measuring to get an A1C? That is the percentage we're measuring, yes. And normal would be? Less than five, like four to five. And so when you start inching upwards towards 6.0, maybe 6.3 or 4, you're in the borderline range. Right. You are in that pre-diabetes. You're starting to get in that pre-diabetes range. And then once you hit 6.5? You have diabetes. You're there. You are. But you can control it. You can become a recovered diabetic if you really work on your diet, you really work on your exercise, Right. reduce your need for insulin, which might be tied to reducing your weight or changing, do using doing more exercise, using more sugar instead of relying on insulin to bring it into your body. So these are some of the issues that people with diabetes face every day, checking their sugars. Exactly. Checking their sugars, seeing where, you know, checking your sugar at home kind of gives, your, gives you your own measure versus going to the doctor and getting your blood test done. So it's when like immediate effects, you know, oh, right. I ate that. Look what happened to my sugar. Uh-oh. Exactly. It's that immediate feedback to know what happened. And the same thing like when you exercise. Your body's actually so much more sensitive to the insulin after exercise. It's using the sugar so much more efficiently. So, so that's why we helps should do to it lower, more. Yeah, okay. it helps to lower the blood sugar. So that's another great time to check to see, you know, how your exercise had an effect on it. It would, it would motivate people. 
You know, because then you can say, hey, look, I knew my sugar before exercise was maybe 180, and then after exercise it was down to 100. I mean, that would be motivational. And that's what our team's looking to do during even the educational components of the the program is to bring that in as to, you know, when you are exercising, we're going to go through the meters, we're going to go through when you should do it to try to help them incorporate it into their day. So are you going to be having people check their sugars regularly and get a meter so they can be part of this study and get more information about what to do to check it? Yes. Yeah, the meters meters are critical because like you guys are saying, it's the feedback to them. It's, It's instantaneous. So they can see exactly what's going on, what's happening. Uh, and that, that's powerful. That's powerful to be able to kind of internalize that. The meters are provided as part of the study. So what else is provided, Helen? So, so far we talked about medications that they're going to look at, and the medications will be provided. Right. Meters, Mike, you said would be provided because right. you're going to use that information during the course of the study to help monitor sugars for people. How about some of the blood testing? If people have to come in to do their A1C blood test and, and see somebody, is that also provided at right. no cost to all the individual? All of our blood tests that we do routinely will be provided at no cost, and all of those will be provided to the doctor, the person's private physician. So, you know, yeah. I don't have to run the same test that you just did. That's right. Because people like their blood and they probably want to keep some of it. Some of it. Okay. Yeah. So, and what other tests do you run? I mean, I'm just curious. So if somebody says, well, I normally get my diabetes tested, but I also get my cholesterol tested. Is that often done in some of the testing that you guys would do as well? We do it at certain times. Um, I think it's annually. We probably do that those tests, and those tests will be sent to the private physician, so it'll avoid having to do those kind of tests over and over again. And then we do the A1C at every visit, so um, we keep an eye on that. And if the A1C you mentioned started going out of range, then there are some things you would do to help keep it in range. Right. Well, first, of course, we check to make sure that participants are able to take their medicines that we've given them, and then if they are, we. Uh, schedule them to come back for a recheck. If it continues to be too high, eventually we'll start the third medicine, which would be insulin. So Get it back in the range that it needs to be. So you're looking at four different groups of medications. Right. What are they? So we have uh, some new medicines. We have uh, liraglutide. We have citagliptin. We have one of the sulfonylureas that um, is, I, I can't remember the name of it right now, but it, it's one of the typical medicines that's been used for a while, actually. Then we have insulin. So if you're one of those four groups, for some people, medicine number two might be insulin. That's right. And then if they're not doing well, it would be more insulin. That's right. But if your number two medicine is one of the others that you mentioned, then your number three might be insulin. That's right. Exactly. So no matter what, if you need good diabetes control and you're kind of in that mild to moderate category, this would be an opportunity for you to get expert advice and also be part of a clinical trial that may not just help you getting the free medication, getting the free meters, getting the education and information, but might help others down the road as well. That's right. We want to see which medicine is the best for most people and also see if we can possibly personalize medicines for people a certain amount also by finding certain characteristics at baseline that might, you know, that might predict which medicine will work the best for that person as well. So you're looking not only just to make a broad recommendation, right. okay, everybody after metformin should use this particular group of medications. You're also looking to make a more specific recommendation 
for an individual and say, you know, you have certain characteristics. You might want to go ahead and use this type of medicine. Then that information can come to the doctors too. And then the next time I see somebody who looks like, you know, Mr. Jones over here, I'm going to want to look at this particular medicine because he did so well and these people seem to have similar characteristics. Is that right. kind of so the way we're hoping we to find it? some of those results because it's very important to have the medicine that's the best for you if we can do that. Um, and, and we're actually yeah. one of 37 sites. So the other sites are scattered throughout the United States. So the study is really trying to get a broad population of people with diabetes to do exactly what you're saying in terms of trying to be better able to tailor um, diabetic therapy based on the individual person. Well, and that's nice to know because, you know, Hawaii has a very multi-ethnic population. But in addition, there's also a lot of information that can be gleaned from adding people from the mainland into a study. So not only are we looking at different ethnic groups, but we're also looking at geog geographic differences as well. That may also play a role. I mean, I think sometimes if you live somewhere where half of the year it's freezing, you know, your level of exercise, unless there's indoor opportunities, might be dramatically different seasonally than if you live here in Hawaii and pretty much have no excuse, as I will remind myself after the show. <laughs> well, there's okay. rain. All right, Helen, you've <laughs> yeah, just rain. given me an excuse. If it's raining outside, I can go indoors. But somehow I think that membership to the Y is probably going to mess me up when I use rain as my excuse. But right. okay. Now, Mike, what else is part of the study? So people are going to call a number and they're going to leave some information about whether or not they might be part of the study. So tell me what that phone number is so, so we can start working on how people can get more information. Our phone number here, the grade phone, phone line is 564 5700. That's 5645700. And what about those internet savvy folks with email? The email address uh, is grade, G R A D E, dot V A at P H R E I dot O R G. And if anybody needs that information, again, you can shoot an email to talk at hawaiipublicradio.org, and we can also get you that information again. So if you didn't get it down then, we'll mention it again. We'll have it on our Facebook page, but we'll also make sure that that's available as well. So how are you going to get some of these folks to be part of the study, Mike? You're well, the recruitment coordinator. We're going to get them. Hopefully, we're going to get a, a flood of calls, and what we're going to do then is go through the calls. We've asked for some specific information from the individuals. Uh, we've asked for name, date of birth, phone number, obviously, and the best time to call people back so that we can make sure we're, we're connecting. Again, looking at when you were diagnosed with your uh, diabetes and your most recent hemoglobin A1C and your current metformin dose. Uh, we're going to use that to be able to uh, kind of categorize our folks to be able to say, okay, let's, let's start making our callbacks. Uh, we've got a team that's going to do the callbacks. We've got a physician that's on our team that's also going to be involved in, in doing the reviews. And then we're going to recruit the individuals to uh, come in possibly for a follow-up screening. A screening will be the first step that we'll be doing with the individuals. And that's where we'll be looking at some specific blood tests to say, okay, where do we fall within the hemoglobin A1C, some of the other categories, so that we can make sure that uh, uh, we're fitting the criteria for this study. Uh, once people have made it over that hurdle, uh, then we would go – proceed to the start or the run-in where we'd start to titrate the medications. And that would take a period of time having them titrate in to the point that, again, we'd have to test, again, the hemoglobin A1Cs, 
the hemoglobin A1C is a critical component as we're going through the study uh, to, to kind of get to the next stage, or to get to the next medication. So uh, once they've done that, then we'll randomize them to one of the other study medications. So this, this goes over a period of time. Now, how many people are you planning on recruiting? Uh, yearly, we want to, uh, 50 people. We want to bring 50 people, and we're going to do 150, uh, or we're going to follow through the course of our study. So you're looking at a pretty reasonable number. Yes. Just yes. Oahu, neighbor islands included? Right now, we're starting off with Oahu. Uh, we are we, we're always looking at the neighbor islands because we want to try to include everybody. The difficulty we're running into uh, with expanding it to the neighbor islands at this point in time is some of the lab work. What we found uh, is that we've had to bring some of the lab work into our team because the lab work per the protocol isn't standardized lab work that we can just outsource to a lab. Our team has got to do the processing ourselves to be able to kind of stick with the protocol. Uh, as we look and as we move forward, we're going to try to look at opportunities and say, okay, how might we be able to provide that on the outer islands? But initially, we're going to focus on Oahu, iron out all the bugs, uh, get the process worked out, and then hope to kind of expand out to the to the other islands. Now, if somebody wanted to know what kind of a time commitment would be involved, how many visits are there, how many years are we talking about, is this something where they could do it on weekends or after hours, or are we really just talking about, you know, people making time during their day to try and be part of this program? Uh, I, uh, initially, they're going to have to make time during the day because I think while we're doing the screening, the, the, the run-in and the baseline uh, kind of visits, it's going to take a little bit of a time commitment. The screening visit, we're anticipating it to be about a two-hour visit. The first run-in visits, almost another two-hour visit where we're talking about the medication, we're looking at the meters, trying to get the education up so that they can feel comfortable with what they're doing. We will have in between there uh, follow-up phone calls to the individual because we want to follow them, make sure they're comfortable with with how they're progressing their medications to make sure that they're they're you know reduce their anxiety and then the baseline visit is a big visit that visit it could run up to five hours one of the components of that baseline visit is the OGTT that's looking at the uh, glucose tolerance testing uh, where what we've got to do over a two hour period is be able to give the individual a a, a glucose drink and then we want to measure it at certain time points and be able to see where, yeah, where, how they're processing their blood sugars. And so that one does take a little bit of time. So this is really a study. If you're a super motivated person who has diabetes and really wants to take place, you know, you're the perfect candidate if you want to take part in this study. If you're kind of sort of not so motivated, nominate your friend who might be. Is that kind of the situation? That w- I think that would work well. Uh, but I think, you know, the benefits of the study, uh, I, I think they're – it, it, it's really quite a good service to the individual with the diabetes because of all the co- comprehensive nature of the study with the education, with being able to learn about the medications. Long term, I think it's time well spent. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with a panel of experts. We're talking about diabetes and a National Institutes of Health trial that's taking place right here in the islands. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the benefits of taking part in a trial, any clinical trial, or getting more information about the medical problem you may have and how that can help. I've got the experts sitting here at the phone. We've got Helen Petrovich, and she is here as the principal investigator. Mike Matwichna, he is the recruitment coordinator. And Dr. Sophia Hazel, and if you've got a diabetes question, 
We're ready to answer it. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. The issue of land rights is one that's not likely to go away soon in Hawaii. The struggle for native land rights here is both a cautionary example and an inspiration for other parts of America. We'll look ahead to a three-day Aina Forum at the University of Hawaii tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. My name is Joseph Rothstein. I'm a certified financial planner practitioner with Ameriprise Financial here in Honolulu. You often hear my voice during HPR's pledge drives, and I hope you'll join me for Celebration 2013. HPR provides a diversified portfolio of news, music, talk, and community. The two stations of HPR keep my brain engaged and help me stay on top of the things that are important. Help support HPR. It's about what matters. Aloha and welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, joined in the studio with my panel of experts, Dr. Sophia Hazel, endocrinologist from the VA, Mike Matwichner, recruitment coordinator for the GRADE study, the Glycemic Reduction and Diabetes Effectiveness Study, and Helen Petrovich, who is the principal investigator, bringing NIH studies here to home. Before the break, we were talking about some of the benefits of participating in something like this. We've got a caller on the line. We've got Dave calling in from Maui. Dave, welcome to The Body Show. Oh, good good evening. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What can we uh, do for you? I would like to participate in it. I am a vet, uh, but uh, I understand you're doing this primarily uh, in Oahu. But I have a kind of a unique situation, I think. I I have my AC1C is pretty close to the border, but I have big spikes in my uh, blood sugar, uh, particularly if I eat too much sweets or a lot of bread or something like that. So I've lost 25 pounds since I found out I had this. I'm down to a pretty good weight, and I'm exercising. So the only thing I have, but my legs are still burning. <laughs> so I was seriously considering asking my doctor to put me on some uh, uh, insulin for certain for if I'm going to have meals that I can't control what's on the plate or want to have pizza or something like that. I don't know if that's a that's sort of my question. It's a great question. You know what, Dave, because one of the things we didn't really talk about, which I bet Mike would agree with is, you know, at this point, the team may not be able to go to the outer islands to do the laboratory studies. But that does not mean that someone like yourself, member of the VA from the Outer Islands, can't come to Oahu to participate in the study if you're super motivated. I'm sure that would be something that they could work out if you happen to be here. Now, the other question that you asked, which was really good, you know, you mentioned sometimes your sugar spikes after you eat. And yet... I I, I overconsume, you know, like I like drinks sometimes and I like candy and I like ice cream. Well, sure. And everybody has these moments where, you know, they're not the perfect dietary person. I've I've gone up as high as 280. Well, and tell me, you said your A1C is on the border. The border of what? Well, you, the, well, a good question is if you have any problems. I've been told by several people that if you have any any consequences caused by diabetes, by, by blood, too much blood sugar, you have diabetes. There's no there's no pre-diabetes. Uh, so you're not you're actually in the above six point five percent range. 
No, I'm below that. You're below that. I see. Yes, but I have um, the complications. Nerve damage in my lower legs. My, I see your my point. Knee down. It okay. burns, and you know. Well, it's so an interesting question. I, I have question. neuropathy. Uh, so, I, when I was in Massachusetts, I went to see. I went to a, a long interview with the Mass General, and, and the person, I, the doctor I spoke with, she said, "At any time, if you're if you go over two hundred three times, you are diabetic." Well, and you're sort of bringing up a really interesting point, yeah. which is, you know, if you have the consequences of diabetes, would taking insulin help you? Yeah. And it's a little different, you know, because you're one of these motivated folks, Dave. You're telling me I want to take insulin, and I wish you were one of my patients because I never yeah. hear somebody come in saying, I want to take insulin, doc. That would probably be such an anomaly. I would just be shocked and surprised. So good that you're willing to do that. I don't have any myself. I'm testing myself with my own meter all the time. So. Well, and you bring up an interesting point, which is, yeah. you know, we've talked about it even off air. Sometimes checking your sugar is more painful than injecting insulin. So sometimes uh, people don't yeah. realize that the actual injection is not that painful. But you brought up a real interesting point, which is, you know, again, can you treat more preemptively with insulin when you're developing that insulin resistance and heading towards diabetes, particularly using it on an as-needed case? Now, right. let's I presume that your nerve problem has been defined as related to your sugars, because that's something that may not be the case. Well, it's either that or it's idiopathic. So exactly. I think it's a so, pretty good... I can actually, I'm sensitive. If I eat too much sugar or it, it spikes up, I can feel it. So. Well, let's just presume that it's from your diabetes. Well, okay, I knowing eat, that it could be from another reason, if that's the I case. I at the time. Well, sure. If it's from yeah. diabetes, then your yeah. question that you brought up is, if you have secondary complications from diabetes, but your A1C is well controlled, would yeah. insulin at all help you? It's an interesting question. Dr. Hazel, this is an unusual scenario. Not yet diabetic, borderline ranges, complications from diabetes. What do you think? Would this be somebody who you could potentially give insulin to if their A1C, let's just say, for example, is like 6.4 so that they never go high? Or do you pretty much want to reserve the insulin for when they have a problem and their sugars are high enough to be diabetic? Well, this is kind of an interesting question because it sounds like his A1C is well controlled, but yet he's having blood sugars that are well over 200. So um, I think I... I've had some folks like this. You know, I've actually had a few in the clinic who have A1Cs that are well controlled, but they have documented neuropathy that is found to be from diabetes. So their A1C is about 6.3, 6.4. We put them on metformin. And they get better. Now, metformin is a pill indicated for pre-diabetics in addition to diabetics. We talked a little bit about it earlier. But I haven't gone as far as giving them insulin. Well, I think that, I mean, we don't know what all the medication, medications that Dave is on. But the to me, the worrisome thing, the A1C notwithstanding, is the blood sugars that he's saying that are in the that 280s. So depending on how often those blood sugars are that high, it may it's probably worth being on something, whether it's insulin or one of the oral um, pills, to get the blood sugars where they're more consistently in a controlled range as opposed to having these spikes. So really anything that would get the blood sugar down to a more reasonable level more would be better, whether it be a tablet or whether it be a shot, 
Right. The other key is as much as Dave may love the pizza and the drinks, it's potentially contributing to the spikes, which could be contributing to the nerve damage. So really figure out if you really want to head down that route or could you control it from lifestyle changes first. Right. You know, and it comes back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of portions because it may be a smaller slice of pizza. You won't have the spike up to over 200s versus, you know, have you know, that'll, sure, the portion get, of it will make you a, get a big little difference bit. in terms of the blood sugars. Right. You get a little bit of your favorite food, but you just don't go overboard. Right. Avoiding right. the spikes, I think, is kind of the main thing. You don't want to be, and the other thing is how often are the spikes happening? Where is, is it overindulging once a month versus this is happening a few times a week? And I guess if you check your sugars often enough, then you yeah. can find out if, you know, my little pizza episode last night with my beer gave me a high sugar. And then maybe ask yourself, is it worth it having pizza and beer? Can I limit the pizza and beer? Can I do more activity and exercise? What can I do to not have spikes? And that's really the issue. Right. And early okay. on, you know, if you early on with the neuropathy, if it's diabetes related, if you can get your blood sugars under control, it gets better. It does. So if you try and your sugars are perfect and you still have neuropathy, it might not be from diabetes. Right. It also depends on the stage because, you know, at some point, if you've had neuropathy for years, it may not be reversible versus if it's been. So if you've had diabetic neuropathy for 10 years, chances are, even with perfect sugars, you're not going to have that go away. Right. So it gets back to what we were talking about, trying to make the changes and get under control earlier. And do it early. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. All right. We've got a caller on the line. We have Tish from Makiki. Tish, welcome to The Body Show. Hello. Hello. What can we do for you today? Well, I would like to know what kind of foods to prepare for my brother who was recently diagnosed with diabetes. You are such a good sister. So he was diagnosed with diabetes, and you want to cook food for him. Right, because he has no energy. Well, and that's just so nice that you're going to help him out and make food for him. You know, he's lucky to have such a good sister. All right, so let's talk about what kind of foods would be great. Sophia, you know, you see people with diabetes all the time. What foods would you say they should try to eat more of that taste Good. Now that's a challenge because <laughs> I didn't just say what foods should they eat more of, but <laughs> I already said you got to make them taste good because Dish's brother is not going to eat cardboard. Right. So I highlight a balanced diet. So making sure you um, fruits, vegetables, your high fiber foods or the high um, high fiber grains, um, brown rice, quinoa. Those are all good things as opposed to um, some of the more start more starchy less fiber foods um lean meats chicken fish and it's it's a balance so like grilled chicken with broccoli and maybe some tomatoes and salad yes perfect meal for tish's brother perfect white rice with steak with all the marbly fat in there and maybe you know add some cheese probably not a good idea not a good idea that's one of those you know the the occasional treat meal That would be okay, but that's not a good regular everyday meal. Now, you know, Tish, the other thing you can do is you can go to the American Diabetes Association website, 
and they have some fantastic recipes. You can also head to your local bookstore and also find some books that talk about how to make meals that are lower in carbohydrates, lower in sugars. There's something called a glycemic index, which means how quickly your body absorbs the sugars and trying to make sure that you have foods that your body can take some time to digest. And if you find a book with any one of those three topics, it's probably going to give you some great suggestions on healthy dietary intake for your brother, which to be honest, Dr. Hazel, you'd say we probably all should follow healthy healthy diets. I mean, yes. you know, we really, none of us should be going out to have steak one night and pizza the next night and fried chicken the next night and probably not good. No, in the long run, it'll catch up with all of us. But it's dinner time, so I'm going to stop talking about it because <laughs> then I'm going to make myself hungry. All right. So, Mike, what are some of the other benefits of being in this study? What else would make somebody say, I want to be part of it. We know Dave from Maui's excited, but what about some other folks? What what benefits might they get? I think having the team support you. Uh, you know, part of the part of the whole process of the the visits is you do have quarterly visits. Once you're enrolled into the into the study itself, every quarter you you come in for a visit. We run the hemoglobin A1Cs. We check with you. We look at how you're doing. Uh, we also do have phone contact with the, with the participants, and I think that's important because I think as people are going through the process of of working on their diabetes, I think having that support uh, is beneficial because I think it gives them an avenue to be able to ask you the questions. You know, we get a lot of people calling in asking specific questions. This gives them an avenue to say, you know what, where where should I go? Where should I get more information? Uh, how can I? do a better job of managing my, my diabetes. And, and I think that's what the team wants to do is really to be there to support the individuals and, and be, be part of the process with them. They're leading the team, but we want to be, be right there with them along with their physicians. Well, and I think I want to give a shout out to all of the certified diabetes educators and dietitians and nutritionists mm -hmm. and health educators. I've never seen somebody who went to go get more education who got worse. Right. I've never seen that. I've seen people with horrible levels of sugars and A1Cs in the double digits, you know, 14, 15 and higher, who after they went through the education to learn how to better manage their sugars, have always done better every single time. So if somebody out there is struggling with their diabetes, struggling with their A1C, they're somewhere between the 6.8 and 8.5% that you guys are looking for, not only will they get medication and a meter, but they'll also get a team right. to help them to get their diabetes better. And Helen, if you get your diabetes better, you're not going to have the long-term consequences that some of the folks even today called in, Dave with his nerve problems, and you won't get those things. Is that right? That's right. And that's already known to be true. So controlling your diabetes is a very good thing. Studies no have shown that. you yeah. keep your, your sugars down and you will not suffer some of the long-term consequences that people with high sugars will get. Right. All right. And Dr. Hazel, if people want to know, can exercise really make a difference? Simple test, check your sugar before, check your sugar after, see what kind of a benefit Yes, absolutely. And there's actually been studies already that have shown how uh, exercise can benefit. There's actually even a study that came out last year that showed how long exercise, the effect of exercise can last on your sugar. So it can be up to a day, two days. So that's why they say every other day you should at least be exercising. That's why when we talked earlier, yes, you exercised six weeks ago, but that effect of the exercise is long worn off. So at least every other day. 
you should be exercising. Because the effect of exercise lasts over a day on your body's ability to metabolize sugar and the insulin issues with resistance. Right. Does it have to be intense? I mean, can I just go pedal at the gym and watch some trash television because thank God they have TVs? Does it have to be like I'm really sweating out of breath exercise? Or can it just be kind of muttering along? Can be. I mean, it's, I guess, how do we, as strenuous for you, even if it's, I mean, I encourage my uh, patients to walk, um, riding the bicycle, stationary bicycle, even being in the water, walking, you know, it's, um, kind of elevating beyond your normal activity. So, you know, a lot of folks tell me they exercise with, or their work is their activity. Well, your body kind of gets used to that. So you need a, something a little bit more. A little bit more of a challenge. Some a little way bit more to of a challenge, yeah. Kind of what we, you know, it's almost like cross-training. So you can't just do the same activity every day or every other day for 20 minutes and get off and go, I didn't even break a sweat anymore. Right. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. So that, you know, if you're not breaking a sweat anymore, maybe time to increase the duration or the intensity, something to... Kick it up a notch. Yeah. Keep your body right. challenged. And Helen, you said if it's raining... But that doesn't mean we can't do indoor activities. That's that right. right. We should still be out there doing our aerobic dancing or um, step aerobics, something in the you gym. You can do it indoors. You don't have to if it's raining. Right. But we don't have that much of an excuse here in the islands. I mean, we are so lucky to have such nice weather. Though it's been hot recently, but most of the time we've got the option to go outside. We're surrounded by an ocean. If you want to learn how to swim, there's lots of ways that you can Red Cross teaches people, the YW and YMCA teach people. So lots of things people can do. Even something as simple as walking. Even just simple as walking, you know. All right. Now, Mike, remind me again, if somebody's interested in the study, they want to get more information, how can they do so? People that are interested, please give us a call. The grade study line, our phone number is 564-5700. That's 564-5700. Or we can get contacted through our email at grade, G-R-A-D-E, dot V-A, at P-H-R-E-I, dot O-R-G. And the P-H-R-E-I, is that the Pacific Health Research and Educational Institute? It sure is. Yeah, we're, 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 we're part of it. Fantastic. So there's ways that you can take better care of your diabetes. There's help out there. If you want a team approach, boy, have we got the team for you. And you can also be part of what's going to be, you mentioned, Dr. Uh, Dr. Hazel, 37 other sites. Exactly. This is going to be a landmark study. And you can be part of it, which is wonderful because often we hear about research that doesn't take place in the islands. And we wonder, how much does it really represent our island population? But here's a chance to really make a difference because it will. Yes, it will. All right. I want to thank all of you for being on the show today. Thanks so much, Dr. Hazel. Thanks, Mike Matwichna. And thank you, Helen Petrovich. I think the study is, like you mentioned, landmark, groundbreaking, and it's something that any one of us with diabetes that, that really wants to be part of it, get motivated and get in contact And you can do that yourself and and be part of this study, but be part of the solution for your sugars. All right. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong. Our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week when we talk about National Prostate Cancer Month with a panel of experts talking about the controversies in prostate cancer screening but also the advantages in early treatment after early diagnosis. That's going to be Monday at 5, right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then.
Woo!